Hi, non-rebuilders. This is Matt Trueblood. Just dropping in right at the lead of the show here to explain to you why when we get into the meat of the show, it's going to feel a little bit like you wandered into a disjointed conversation. We had some recording issues this week uh, as we pivoted to a new way to record audio to deliver much better sound quality, and hopefully that shows up in what you're about to hear. What will also show up is that we had to divide up the recording a bit, and we actually initially lost our primary recording. Fortunately, Tom Nurse, hero that he is, made a backup recording from which we were able to recover pretty much the whole show for you. Uh, we are hopefully going to have this better sound quality going forward without an, any of the bumps in the road, but this explains to you why we're coming to you one day late and with a show that, especially right here at the front end, it's going to seem like you sort of wandered into the middle of a conversation, which is sort of the uh, vibe we've been going for from the beginning. Maybe we'll try some simulacrum of that next week. But in the meantime, we've got this for you. I hope you enjoy some discussion about the Hall of Fame, about Cubs top prospects, and of course we get in some of our usual nonsense at the end. Thanks. Steve Dillard is now 71 years old. These guys cannot uh, be that old. Yeah. And is I he think. Is less than? I'm sure he's available. I mean, if we really needed him, I can't find his uniform number, though. I'll come back to you on that. Well, that's all right. Uh, next week, then, will be our big celebration of Aramis Ramirez and Steve Ataveros. Mm. And. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, we will spend this week talking about what there is to talk about, which isn't a ton in Cubs land at the moment. There haven't been big moves this week, uh, a couple of things at the fringes of the roster, but nothing changing the shape of, of this team radically. Uh, but there was baseball news just yesterday as we're recording this on Wednesday night, uh, because after a few years... Of wait, Scott Rowland is finally a Hall of Famer. And uh, I don't know, but I guess I'll kick it out to you guys before I get my take. How are we feeling about that? I am so excited I could nap. <laughs> um, I just, I'm, I don't know if it's, it's him. I don't think it is. I don't have real, as much against him as I do most of the MHC. Um, <laughs> but... He's an MHC, so I, I, I won't get excited about him being in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I don't think anybody can get really excited about him being in the Hall of Fame. I just, if you just pinned me to the ground and put a gun to my head and said, who are the top 10 uh, third basemen in the history of the MLB, his name would not come up. And if you went 20, his name would not come up. And it's not because he's not worthy, I don't think. It's just that it's, he's about as vanilla as they come. I know he had a temper and he got into some uh, scraps every once in a while, but uh, he just doesn't excite me. Yeah, I think, too, um, these days, well, I don't know these days, maybe it's ever thus so, but you play the game of, okay, if he's in, what about so-and-so? Right, exactly. And I think DJ pointed out a couple of good ones, Todd Helton. And yeah. what was the other one that we were just texting about? Ernie. Who? <laughs> Sorry, that was the wife yelling at the dog. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> I thought she said Ernie. I oh, did too. It's like, wait a minute, Ernie. Ernie's <laughs> in, isn't he? Or no? He did say Bernie, but oh, I, Bernie, uh, Bernie Williams. Yeah. He's also in. <laughs> He's not. He's Although not. Bernie yeah. Oh, oh! I think it was, it was Mark Grace, obviously. Okay, you got Grace. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. What was the stat? Like, you know, 500 more hits in one fewer season and better looking or something like that, which, you know. <laughs> but um, well, now, I'm seeing, now I'm seeing that, you know, if we're going to just let defensive prowesses that have a good bat make it, then Andrew Jones is for sure going to get in now. 
I just I don't have any qualms against Scott Rowland. I just I don't look at him and his numbers and his career, which I've watched most of, and say, "Wow, that guy needs to be in." Yep, that's where I'm at. He's the only one, right, who is uh, elected, selected. Uh, yes. yeah, wow. yeah. So basically, this year's Hall of Fame class, and I can't remember who the writers are honoring this year. Someone did get that one, but it wasn't someone. I was too familiar with, I don't believe. Um, so who, be... who who picks this guy? Who picked this guy? I thought it was the writers. No, no, no. This, uh, sorry. The writers voted in Scott Rowland. Okay. The new version of the Veterans Committee voted in Fred McGriff. Right, okay. The broadcaster award is Pat Hughes. Woo-woo-woo. Right. And I don't remember which writer is going in as part of the class. Wow. You know, oh, in, I see. Informally, there's a writer honored each year. But basically, it's Roland, McGriff, and Hughes, which I think is actually a pretty cool class. And uh, I'll break from you guys a little bit because I think Scott Rowland's election is overdue by exactly the number of years that he has been on the ballot. Um, I'm... So he's a Do you think up. he should have been first ballot? Sure. Well, okay. This is one thing about me. If I think if a guy's a Hall of Famer, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't oh, really, no. I don't really <laughs> see a point in like penalizing someone. Like imagine, imagine Adrian Beltre, who is. Wait, wait. I'm be, trying to do that. I can imagine. Okay, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. I think he, he played in the league. He joins the uh, ballot next year, and he'll be inducted right away. Right. But say for some strange reason, the writers decided to make him wait because, I don't know, they, they don't like that he didn't get to 500 homers or something. Yeah. And then Adrian Beltre dies in a plane crash. Ooh. That's Not terrible. wishing it on him. Obviously. Extremely you obviously. You for the Cardinals? Maybe he did. Did he really? I think he might. Matt, right. You don't have to kill people. How many people think they should be in the Hall of Fame? Oh, but you do. But my point <laughs> Unless is, they played for the Cardinals. The point I'm trying to rules. make is, isn't it? All the rules. Isn't it silly to make anyone just wait an extra year? Like, what if this. What if they die? You know? What if, if they were a great enough ball player and you have no. Ron reason, Santo. When they hit the ballot to believe that, it, well, yeah, Ron Santos, that's a whole separate can of worms. But, yep. uh, yeah, I basically would put in anyone that I would put in. I would put him in on the first ballot. But that said, I think Roland roughly rose to the caliber of a first ballot Hall of Famer anyway. Um, first of all, the dude was awesome defensively at third base not good not very good incredible I, I wrote a little bit about this today that there used to be kind of two different kinds of very good defensive third baseman there was brooks robinson who was like good player uh too slow to be a shortstop but built like a shortstop that was why he was at third base he was he was a third baseman because he wasn't fast enough to play short but he was incredible at third because he did everything else well enough. Then there were guys who were at third base largely to hit 40 homers, but they had learned to have good hands and that step-in-a-dive range, and they got it done that way. And it still looked pretty good. Scott Rowland was the first guy who brought, like, this guy opted out of being a tight end in the NFL, and instead he's playing third base, and he's doing it really well. That combination of huge size that he brought to bear at the plate and used in the field to extend his range and quickness that belied his frame. And he was, he and Beltre actually belonged to this generation that revolutionized what a third baseman could be. I mean, we would not have, and I'm not saying that the evolution wouldn't have happened if not for him, but he was at the bleeding edge of this change that brought about third base as we see it played today by Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado and Matt Chapman and these guys who make the position beautiful and sort of awe-inspiring because you see these huge dudes make incredibly athletic plays 
and extend their range all the way from five feet into foul territory over to where a shortstop normally plays. Roland was the guy who led the charge on that. And at the plate, he was this great balance of uh, power and plate discipline and just pure hitting ability. Um, I, I, Look, we can make whatever comparisons we want, and yes, Mark Grace had many more hits than him. Mark Grace, this is the fun fact people love to throw out about him, more hits than anybody else had in the decade of the 1990s, mm. right? Uh, but that's because Mark Grace specialized in getting hits. He was a singles and doubles hitter. Scott Rowland was like Mark Grace if Mark Grace also took 10 extra plate appearances a year and knocked the ball over the fence in them. Um, it, it's just a different thing. He was a great player. And there were some injuries, and he didn't have the longevity of some of the other greats at the position. Certainly, Beltre was a better player than Rowland because he just never stopped being great. Rowland started declining in like his early to mid-30s, and Beltrade stayed awesome until he was almost 40. Well, that makes a difference. Um, but I think he was really good in all those ways. Plus, uh, the only manager he ever really clashed with was Tony La Russa. I give him bonus points for that. <laughs> and uh, by and large, and especially later in his career, he had... There was no one happy playing for the late 90s and early 2000s Phillies, and that included him. He was not a happy guy there. Uh, had some friction with the Cardinals, but did win a championship with them ultimately. Later in his career, he was like a famously excellent teammate. Really good at seeing the little things, communicating them to players, uh, stealing signs in not the cheating way, but in the way that it's been encouraged and rewarded throughout baseball history Approved. all those little things he was awesome at them. um and yeah i get the vanilla thing he had he's not an especially if you know the beauty personality he's from evansville indiana and you can feel it <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know i i'm glad to see him go in because i think he was one of those guys who there is a real danger of that kind of person, that kind of player with the very balanced skill set, never getting honored. Um, so I was worried he'd go right through his eligibility, fall off the ballot, and end up really never getting in at all. Um, but now we don't have to sweat that. So maybe this is a, a Todd is rapidly aging thing. Um, in that I've not been to the Hall of Fame. I want to go. Got to go one of these days. But, you should. Um, it feels to me like it's and, and that it's not because of Roland, but in general over the years, it feels to me that it's becoming uh, diluted um, and maybe diluted um, by their choices and just you know it, it, there's just I don't know, nothing nothing gets exciting anymore and there doesn't seem to be a standard of uh, that brings you into the Hall of Fame. It used to be the rough thoughts were, you know, 3,000 hits, you're in. 500 homers, you're in. 300 wins, you're in as a pitcher. Um, now, if you, you know, it, 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 what, what, what are the standards? Well, I think, didn't we realize a while ago that those standards were bunk anyway? I mean, those standards were a, a part of the gatekeeping that kept Ron Santo out of the Hall. Right. Time. Right, but maybe, and I love Ron, but maybe Ron didn't belong. It, and the thing is, the cat's out of the bag, the cow's out of the barn, the, uh, I don't have any other thing to say, but, um, you know, now there's no standard necessarily to get into the Hall of Fame other than, you know, 75% of the voting population. Is it 75? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and those guys drink. So who knows, you know, who knows? I, I think the standards used to be those, those numbers you threw out. Not only were those standards flawed in the fact that they only account for sort of one shape of career, but also it was just homers and hits and wins. And we know now that those don't even measure a player's value all that well. I mean, that's what was missing from Santo is, 
you had no number to attach to the fact that he played really good defense and drew 100 walks a year. Um, yeah, I mean, you had a number you could attach to that, right. but nobody, nobody, did. nobody paid attention to it or enough attention to it. But that even uh, that kind of even you know exacerbates the the thought that uh, there's no standard because there you know whatever the standard was back then was flawed. Now we've got whatever standard we have now, so all those guys that got in before maybe shouldn't be in there. So the Hall of Fame is is it really? I mean, it's a Hall of Fame, but is it really a, a Hall of damn good baseball players, baseball players? I mean, we could change what we use to define the standard, right? Uh, the one we can. can. <laughs> they don't take my calls. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh, oh, there are people who have tried to do this, and Jay Jaffe, who Jay Jaffe is a sabermetrician, a longtime baseball writer, writes for Fangraphs now, who long ago put a framework on this. He said. I'm going to take the average of your career wins above replacement total and your wins above replacement total in your best seven seasons, average the two to create a score that then I can compare to those of your, you know, uh, comparators at your position or whatever to decide whether or to what degree you're likely or deserving of going into the hall, right? He doesn't claim that it should be a, you know, a bright line test, but that's a good standard to apply. You're never going to get everybody to agree to apply it. Um, and that's just one thing about there was the world we had in 1975, and there's the world we have now, and they're two different things. You know, we we agreed on standards back then because we had less information People accepted what they were told more easily, and everybody just sort of converged on a smaller set of opinions. Now everybody's got their own opinion and their own standard that they want to apply, and we could create a much, much better standard than we ever had before, like the Jaffe War score. And it still wouldn't probably satisfy us in the same way that just seeing a guy with 3,000 hits and 500 homers does. Um, but I think some of that satisfaction is just a vestigial thing. It's nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah, the, the standards uh, is something that, like, Todd and I grew up with, certainly. And it probably existed, uh, you know, a short time before that. But there was a lot of weird voting. Okay, so the first class was 32, 30, no. 36 maybe was the first class because wasn't yeah. Ruth one of the original five? Yep. It's like Ruth Cobb, Matthewson, Johnson, I don't know, McGraw maybe. Or maybe. Young. Maybe Ruth yeah. didn't go in the first first time around. But you had these amazing players because there's pent-up demand, right? There's a new thing, a Hall of Fame, and you had, you know, 50, 60 years of baseball. And then in the 40s and 50s, they started, you know, you got the guy, you got the brothers, the catcher and the pitcher, and the pitcher was actually a better hitter than the catcher, and they're both in the Hall of Fame. You know, you had like Marty Marion. I'm not sure if he's in the Hall of Fame. Maybe he just won the MVP. But you you have some guys in there. You know, you go to the Hall of Fame, you look at their plaques, and even back by whatever standards they're using at the time, I mean, they're struggling. You know, good clubhouse man, you know. Um, yeah great you know toilet habits or whatever you know so <laughs> so you had and then again you had a um we we started getting the numbers the home run era really matured and so now you have the 400 500 home runs you got more players with 3000 hits and so those standards kind of came into being but yeah there's there's some questionable folks from from way back that got in there and not questionable because they were bad people they're just questionable because how you know, maybe they were friends with the writers or, or however they, they elected people back then. And one more thing, too, yeah. I want to I want to mention is um, I'm happy to see a third baseman go in uh, because uh, I think it was somewhere around the turn of the century, the turn of this century, when 
I read that the uh, players with the shortest longevity, I'm not talking about major league longevity, I'm talking about their lives, were third <laughs> basemen. And by the way, parenthetically, shortstops live to be the longest. So third basemen die sooner. And also, I think they were seriously <laughs> underrepresented in, um, in Cooperstown. And maybe deservedly so. Maybe there's just more turnover at third, so you can't pile up these amazing stats. You know, there were the huge superstar players at third, the Mel Otts, and then later on the, the Mike Schmitz. But there was a real shortage of third basemen. That's probably changing this century and going to continue to change because of the players that, that Matt mentioned earlier. I just read that uh, when Roland got in, that uh, still third baseman, that's the position with the fewest still, huh? uh, number of, of, uh, of players in, in the hall, I believe. I, maybe I read that incorrectly, but I think that's correct. Do they even become yeah, managers, so- third baseman? I mean, they're just, I don't know, it's... Something about that position that's just deadly, <laughs> you know, to your career and your life. I think. Yes, these guys just never play long enough for whatever reason. Yeah, that might be it too. You know, that might be it. I mean, we know Tinker's ever's a chance, but unless you're a real, you know, the the real trivia question is who's the third baseman. But why do we even have to ask that? You know, because he's a third baseman and whatever. Yeah, it kind of got get overlooked sometimes and yeah i mean there are still third basemen that dad you weren't wrong to say that there's been some degradation of the standard i just think it's it's mostly happening via the committees now um not that i think mcgriff was underqualified but in the last few years jack morris finally got in after being denied all the way through his writer's ballot candidacy and jack morris great and had some awesome moments deserves to be remembered but there's like a dozen pitchers just in jack morris's time or since then who belong in before jack morris is hershizer in uh no, no wow he is not okay yeah huh. Huh. he's one good example of of several but uh hershizer uh i'm trying to think uh, Kevin Brown is the guy I always default to, but there's mm-hmm. he's, there's a long list of guys yeah. who you can. I mean, Dave Steve, you can make a case for ahead of Jack Morris, but Morris got shoved in. And the real uh, top exemplar of this is uh, Harold Baines. They put Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame. Well, at that point, oh yeah, you went nuts when that happened. We're real. And, yeah, you and really Harold Baines is a good he's a good player. Just has no business being in the Hall of Fame. So See with that right a, there, even that. Okay, so he was I I don't know his stats at all, but the he he has no business being in the Hall of Fame, but no we don't know what that means. I mean, you know, it, there's a whole list of people that have no business being in the Hall of Fame just and it's a long list. Um and for other reasons, I mean, they're holding out people who um, who had steroid issues, correct? So Sammy's not going, uh, McGuire's not going, Rodriguez is not going. Uh, well, if you're going to do that, um, then go back and, I mean, Cobb killed a guy. So let's go back and pull his ass out. Um, I don't know, This it's, it's just the lack of a standard, whatever it is. It's, I, it, I, it, the standard may be... Is just hey, they're really good with kids. You're in. Wow. Well, and that's another part of why the standard has been eroded is the steroid stuff, right? That okay, it feels less exciting when we elect guys now because we sort of a large enough percentage of the writers agreed not to elect an entire generation of superstars just because of what they did or the writers believe they did um and so those are the guys you would get more excited about their inductions because they're the ones who met the statistical standards who true collected all the awards right and so we're left with guys who feel like fringe candidates just because you know the ones who had the gaudy numbers didn't get uh aren't the ones being recognized now 
So There's speaking one. of gaudy numbers, uh, Steve Dillard was number 15. <laughs> and it was there gaudy. Is. He had it bedazzled. And that was <laughs> he wore it well. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that they let him get away with that back then. But yeah, it's funny, There's Harold one. Baines, I wonder if he even, I, I'm sure he did. I'm saying this kind of facetiously, but can you make the Hall of Fame and never make an all-star team? <laughs> you know, he probably made three all-star teams. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there that's... is one takeaway to this Hall of Fame results voting this year. Jeff Kent falls off the ballot. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Could happen to a nicer guy. Yeah. <laughs> just. See, and that is was, that part of it? it? It seems like that's part of it, too, whether or not, uh, you know, he's a decent guy or he's a you know, bit of an ass. Um, Jeff Kent, you know, probably not popular among writers. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, I don't think the old-timers committee is going to help him out much either. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, I was in that Giants clubhouse in, you know, 98, and it sucked. They could probably put together a committee of his family, and he still might not yeah, make it in. it's going to be close. <laughs> yeah, there's a yeah. pair of professional athletes you could say that about as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they're they're all, I mean, not all. Not, I, I don't want to lump them all, but there's a big percentage of them that are pretty much narcissistic assholes. You know, Todd, among this group, I bet you're in with 100% of the vote. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I don't want to speak for DJ and your son, but you know, I'm just going to put that out there. You're in. Well, I mean, let's just stick it to you then, Tom, because I'm I, I can't really say I can depend on their votes. Okay. Well, 25 percent's not going to do it. You have to vote for yourself, <laughs> so that'd be 50. So. Okay. Well, I just got to get. I got to sway one of them. <laughs> you got to have unanimous because two out of three doesn't do it unless you get. Yeah. Involved. That's right. Yeah, unless you get to vote on yourself, which doesn't seem right. Doesn't Although seem I think right. they might have let Harold Baines vote for himself. <laughs> so. Multiple times. Well, right. Roland well, that's Yahoo. Anyone ever been removed from the hall? Wow. No. Wow. That'd no. Be, and we should. We got to start that. That'd be cool. <laughs> Yeah. See if we can get somebody pulled. I don't care. It doesn't have to be Cobb, although, you know, I have my feelings about Cobb. Uh-huh. But some guy that nobody's ever heard of, let's see if we can get him yanked. <laughs> Roll up in coveralls like repo men and see if anyone stops you. Just have a drill and start taking down a plaque. Yeah, that's fun. Let's do it. Yeah. What we should do, because I think this would be a big moneymaker, is actually create a the hall of the greatest players and and have a standard here's what you've got to do this is what you got to do if you don't do this sorry you know who who was the famously hit to 2999 hits um clemente no he got 3000 clemente yeah, got the right. 3000 there was a guy and this is one of the stories that i like about the standards and when we decided to apply them i can't remember if it was I want to say it was one of the Sams from like way back in the early 1900s, Sam Crawford or Sam, Sam Rice, Rice. But yeah, had like 2,998 hits yeah. and retired uh, voluntarily. Didn't know. You know, they, there are people who still wanted him to play, but it's just because no one cared about 3,000 hits at the time. And no one anticipated <laughs> that anyone ever would. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know. It's possible so, he didn't, they didn't even know. I think one of those guys they didn't That's know. It's like 15 years after his career, someone said, hey, by the way, because there just weren't the resources back then. I mean, when the, uh, what was it, 69, that the baseball encyclopedia came out, that was like a big deal. It's like, hey, we yeah. can finally look up numbers from, you know, the 19, I mean, if your career was in the 1900s, the aughts or the tens, it, it was. it's hard for us to imagine, but those numbers weren't readily available. Yeah. Even, so, even 30 years later, if you wanted that guy's career numbers, you had to ask the league office and then take their word for it. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Six weeks later, you get your letter back. It makes yeah. me, there, was, there was a movie in the, I don't know when the hell this was, Bernie Mac uh, played a baseball <laughs> player for the Brewers. Yeah. Who, I never who, saw 3, Yeah, he, he hit three, got his 3,000th 3, hit, 3, hit and retired, and then there was some 
so they figured out that he was like six or eight hits short and he had to go back for another season and I don't know I don't, I don't think I ever saw the movie but uh, maybe I did you know it was probably the 90s so yeah. they it was so long ago that and I'm talking about the the real situation the 29.99 guy they they couldn't go back pull any video no. look back like, gosh we gotta get him one more wow. they and, couldn't even find oil paintings of this guy <laughs> It's a good idea for a movie. I don't know if the movie is any good. I didn't see it, but it's a good idea for a movie. And by the way, this is administrative and probably shouldn't be discussed here on the podcast, but I really think a segment of a future podcast should be baseball movies. Talk hey, about, I like it. Yeah. Talk about what we like, yeah. what we don't like. I definitely have some opinions, and I'll bet you guys do too. I was about to suggest that for next week, we all just watch Mr. 3000 and come here with notes. And then <laughs> 90 minutes. do a roundtable. That movie would, never got so I'm, much I'm, attention. <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of pissed because uh, because of the lack of standards in the Hall of Fame. Bernie Mac is in the freaking Hall of Fame. Wow! Yeah. But Bernie Williams isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And now we've just come the clerical error. And the next, so, we're just yeah. going to obscure, not great baseball films, and then hash them out on on the episode. You don't know it's not great. Have you seen it? Maybe you have. Great. Uh, good, point. good point. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. I have seen it. It's not great, and it's so not great that it's going to be fun to talk about sometime. But we'll get to that. Once the rest we'll get of to that have. later. Yeah, I, I won't tip my okay. hand, but I think baseball movies are bad, generally speaking, except for the ones that are <laughs> for good. For the most part. And they're very yeah. good, you know, but wow. Okay, I'm looking it up right now, and the budget was $30 million to make that movie. The box office was only $22 million. So <laughs> Wow, wow. It was a loser. Literally. <laughs> anyway, there you go. All right. Well, that is our Hall of Fame talk. We are going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment with the rest of our show. Welcome back. Uh, we have moved on now from our Hall of Fame talk, and we're going to quickly go over... Uh, the fact that two of the major top 100 prospect lists for Major League Baseball came out this past week. Boom. Uh, yeah. Baseball America dropped their list, and so did Baseball Prospectus. These days, they're, I don't know, depending on how you prefer to count them, four or five lists that everyone agrees matter. Um, but the interesting thing this year is the Cubs landed three prospects on each top 100 list, which is not an impressive number. It's about average. Uh, but in the <laughs> common to the two lists was just one player, Pete Crow Armstrong, who was at about 25 on each list. Then in the back end of the list for Baseball America were Brennan Davis, the outfielder we've been waiting on for a couple of years now, whose back betrayed him last year. And Kevin Alcantara, the big gangly outfielder who so far has gone no further than uh, Myrtle Beach that the Cubs got in the Anthony Rizzo trade, who has this very high ceiling, but he's still a couple of years away. On the baseball prospectus list, you had PCA way up top. Then near the end, Owen Casey, whom they got in the Udarvish trade, who spent pretty much all of last year at South Bend in high A, and will probably go to double A this year as a 20-year-old. And Matt Mervis, who we know about, who probably will be in Chicago by mid-May, something like that, uh, who before the arrivals of Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini, we thought might be, uh, you know, the starting first baseman for this team this year. So those guys all appeared on the list, in a funny sort of way, it's like the Cubs have five top 100 prospects, even though only three made each list. And then BP also published a list of guys who just missed their top 101, which included not only Davis, but also Hayden Wisniewski. Uh, and they, their scouts threw out a few guys they expect, not expect, but they could envision making a big leap and joining this list next year. And one of those names was Daniel Palencia, a righty that 
the Cubs got in the Andrew Chafin trade back in 2021, who is now throwing like 102 with a vicious slider. But again, it's an A ball, and we're not sure if he's going to stay a starter or become a reliever. Um, but that's, you know, I think that reflects the Cubs system pretty well at this point. What, what it's telling us is there's a lack of star power. There are a lot of very interesting names, but your opinion on any one of them can vary pretty widely, and that's because the number of outcomes that those guys could have in the major leagues could still vary pretty widely, even for guys like Davis and Mervis and Wisniewski, who are basically at the threshold of the big leagues. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I don't know how much new information it gives us, but it might help put in perspective where the Cubs are in the not a rebuild that they've been going through. Oh, that's great. Great sum summary there, Matt. Uh, if I could just throw in PCA, just talk about PCA for a second. Uh, first of all, thank you, Javi Baez. Yeah. In, in a sense. And Trevor Williams. I just saw that. And, <laughs> did you? <laughs> but young PCA uh, was center fielder was rated an 80 on defense, which means no one in the minors or majors is a better center fielder than he is at this stage of his development. Wow, seriously? Yeah. Isn't that kind of shocking? I mean, you give yeah. somebody an 80, it's like you, there's nowhere to go from there. That's it. So the guy can put the bat on the ball a little bit, have a little bit of plate discipline. This could, this could really turn out well. I mean, defense translates. You know, you don't, like, get to the majors and suddenly you can't play defense. That's what's great about that. I don't know how his arm is. I think that's a different rating, isn't it? Don't they do the five tools and that's yeah. okay. So I don't know where that is, but it's kind of fun. I mean, who doesn't love to see a great center fielder do his thing, you know? So that's... That's my thought on and, young PCA. And the Cubs have so rarely had such a center fielder. Mm. More often it feels like, you know, they had Jim Edmonds for a year, but it was when he was already ancient and no longer Jim Edmonds out there. And that was you know, just too had... weird. We couldn't really enjoy it. It was just like, this yeah. is strange. I right. just, it was it was like, I don't know, it was just, it was terrible for me. It was <laughs> painful. I say, painful I say strange, Todd says terrible. That's it. <laughs> it was awful. I, I, you know, he, he was he was MHC, and then he came over, and it's like, well, do I like this guy? No, Todd, you're uh, so MHC, you can't even like Red Shane Deanst. And I no, I don't. No, no, I wasn't sure that was possible, but yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Just anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, wasn't uh, Almora a pretty good fielder? I remember him as being a good center fielder. Yeah, yeah, and if he could have hit, uh, that would have been transformative for you know so I, do we think this kid is going to be a better hitter than Almora? i mean just using that as a benchmark it's a good question and i will say that if memory serves where he is on the list this year is higher than Almora ever got but not by much mm. um okay. and if Almora had stayed a little healthier even during the minor league phase of his career he probably would have been as highly regarded a prospect as this. What scouts and prospect rankers seem to like about PCA relative to guys like Almora and other, you know, in other organizations, great center fielders, incredible gloves, where there are some questions about the bat, is that more of the questions around him revolve around he might strike out kind of a lot, but he's shown some power. He's shown the ability to actually, you know, make contact with authority, which a lot of these great defensive center fielders, they kind of get the bat knocked out of their hands mm. when they get to the top level. It's um, kind of sounding like, uh, like Corey Patterson. Well, yeah, I mean, you hope it's not going to turn out to be that extreme. And his approach certainly looks a little more disciplined so far than Patterson's was. But that's... There's risk. I mean, this is the thing, is when you're starting to invest your hope in prospects, there's risk attached to them, especially mm -hmm. if they're not elite guys. Um, yeah. Well. Uh, 
if they're not elite guys from the jump, if they're not taken in the top five picks of the draft. And obviously that's that's not where PCA was, and it's not where the Cubs have been any time super recently. The only time they've had a top 10 pick in the last several years was last year, and they chose to spend it on a guy who has some of his own risk attached in Cade Horton, a pitcher and one who's already had Tommy John surgery. So we're just going to have to accept there's risk associated with these guys, but it's nice that PCA reflects some of the upside that's there too. And um, this year he'll probably he'll probably even start in double A, so it's not like he's a long way from the majors. That's good. Uh, yeah. Obviously you'd prefer to have a star already in place, but it can't always be the way it goes. So the trade that they made of Javi for PCA was clearly a sound one on value, and now you just hope it plays out more like, uh, I don't know, a Jim Edmonds at the very high end or a Kevin Kiermeyer instead of a Corey Patterson-type career. But the uh, The system is definitely deeper, and how it's going to pan out is going to de- depend a lot on how much they're able to do excellent player development, which is the bugaboo they ran into with this last crop of prospects that um, they either didn't get guys across the finish line at all or they got them to the majors as flawed players and then ended up not wanting necessarily to extend them until it was too late to extend them and the whole thing sort of got away from them. Um, This time around, they seem to be more focused on having a, a platform in place to say we're going to get you to the big leagues as a polished product as someone who can succeed and overcome the difficulties of the adjustment curve against the highest level of competition possible um but there's just no way to know that in advance um matt what is um where would you rank the cubs farm system in general one to thirty I think, first of all, I'm not very good at this, <laughs> but I, I think a lot of the, even the people who try to do it aren't that good at it. The smart, smartest people I read and listen to say that they're clearly in the top half, but probably not in the top you know, five or so, unless you really favor a system that's heavy on depth and lighter on star power. Uh, so it becomes a a bit of a question of whether you want quantity or quality. But within that, there's so many idiosyncrasies that it's, it's hard to parse. Um, I would probably say, probably say they're right around 10. You know, uh, <laughs> an above average system, there are a lot of guys to like. And so on that basis, it's hard to imagine them not getting significant value from the farm over the next several years. It's just that that can come with a lot of uh, unexpected hiccups. And the fact that you're short on stars, that it's really only PCA that you're very confident in, and there's these others who, you know, you're counting on something to break right in their development in order for them to become an impact guy. Um, I think that's where a lot of other systems, even to our chagrin, the systems of some other teams in the NL Central, uh, separate themselves from the Cubs is they've got a, a much clearer path to getting a star or two or maybe even three from their farm over the next three to four years. Uh, whereas in the Cubs case, it's going to be more of here we can fill out 11 spots on our 26-man roster with solid dudes that we have homegrown, but we're going to have to keep shelling out big money in free agency or trading a lot of our prospect depth if we want to get access to those four or five win players you know it's going to be a Dansby Swanson deal every year or go hunting on the trade market oh, yeah. neither of those is is very comfortable for anyone least of all Jed Hoyer it's weird I, I read a I was trying to find it and I can't a, an article um, was talking about how the the Cubs or how uh, the Farm systems ranked, and that article had the Cubs ranked as ten. Oh, 
I mean, we were like dead last or close to it um, when we started trading off guys near the end of our, you know, dynasty, so to speak. So they <laughs> they had some work dynasty. cut out for them. I mean, we were there was nothing there for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and for whatever else you think of him or think of the whole operation the last couple of years, Jed is to be commended on how he's conducted those things, the, the trades especially, um, getting PCA for Javi, getting, like I said, getting, uh, you know, we talked a, a little bit at the time about Greg Dykeman, this left-handed 4A outfielder who came to nothing and is already out of the organization. That was the main guy they got for Andrew Chafin, but the throw-in was this Daniel Palencia guy who now looks like, I mean, I would already have moved him to the bullpen if it were me making the wow. decision. Because huh. um, I think if you move him to the bullpen, he's going to get to the majors really fast, and he's going to like be your scary closer or setup man for a few years. And, you know, pick your favorite comp, Carlos Marmol, um, Pedro Strope, one of those just dominant two-pitch shutdown relievers. Um, to get a guy like that in a trade for what was really just a rental reliever in the first place is awesome. And then Alcantara from the Rizzo trade, Owen Casey from the Udarvish trade. These are trades you wish they would never have made. Yeah. Um, but he, he did well with them. So I, that's, that has to count for something. All right. Well, let's, uh, we're going to swing into our final segments here. We've lost, DJ for the night. Um, yeah, I received word that he's been called away on an emergency assignment. Yeah. So secret yeah. assignment. Uh, yeah. As sometimes yes. happens. And we yeah. we uh we are respectful of special assignments on this podcast. <laughs> Tom, you know, has to sometimes go into the the unknowns of the wider world. Yeah. And we, now, dear listeners, we can see Tom, but you can't see him. But if you could see him, you could you would see that he is prepped to be called away. Get ready for my next mission. Assignment. Yeah, that's all yes. I can yeah. say. Yeah, he could go almost anywhere from from <laughs> and what he is in right now. Uh, but he's got a go bag ready DJ. to go. <laughs> Excuse me, absent DJ, we will soldier on here. All right, uh, and move into our final segments for the night. Dad, do you want to lead us off with some horticulture tips? Well, let's hear sure. it. So um, I'm, I've been I'm kind of going on this uh, uh, old and wise Todd thing, um, and I'm going to go with it, even though it may not necessarily be true. Um, and like I did last time, uh, basically give advice as to what you should be doing now as far as thinking about your landscape. And um, speaking to anyone who's going to do any project, um, do it whatever it is do it um and i can speak from experience in that when matt was uh, in middle school and how old are you now 33 33 yeah so roughly 20 years ago um maybe even a little more than that i had the idea when we moved into this house i should redo that patio uh do, just take out that old crappy uh, concrete patio that we had in there that was I think uh, 12 by 15 or 12 by 16, something like that, which is a decent-sized patio. Uh, but it was you know, it was just crappy old concrete thing that I didn't really like. Um, so let's say that was 20 years ago, just for the argument's sake. Um, and I completed, did finally rip out that old patio and put in a new patio, uh, completed that in 2021. So, um, actually, did it complete in 2021? Yeah, it was 2021. So, um, do it, whatever it is. If you if you've got an an area in the back corner that is is kind of overgrown and crappy, get back there and rip it out and put in stuff. Plant plants. Even if you don't have a design, even if you don't have any uh, expert advice, just plant stuff that you like. And if it doesn't work, cut that out in two years and put in something else. Now, I also highly recommend talking to somebody who can 
help you with that. And it, you don't have to get into having a landscape architect come out and not just redesign the entire yard. You can take a picture with your phone, go to most garden centers, uh, and show them that picture, and they can do one of two things. They can say, I would rip all that stuff out and I'd put in these six, seven plants. Or what is, you know, wonderful technology of, of this century, they can actually uh, take that picture, put it into a computer program, overlay plants into that picture wow. so you can see what that's going to look like. Wow. And it can that can be done in, I mean, send me your picture, folks, uh, and I can send one back to you. Uh, within an hour, if I've got time right then, which I don't have a lot of time, but um, I I can send that back to you in a short period of time, and it'll be something that will work great in that space. And uh, you, you just just get off get off your tail and do it. It's not as expensive as it sounds. It's not as uh, big of a deal as it sounds. And don't wait twenty years to build your patio. Yeah, well, that sounds like good life advice in general, but certainly with the ultimate renewable resource that is uh, your own property. Seize the day. And Matt, you've seen it. You've seen that um, patio. I assume yeah. you've been back to Appleton in the last 18 months. Uh, it looked pretty impressive from the pictures. Yeah. Tom, you got to come up. We're going to do it. Absolutely. We're, we still got to figure out if we're going to do that, uh, that minor league game and in, oh yeah, uh, May. So we'll see That's if that right. works. When uh, Kevin Alcantara and the South Bend Cubs will be in town. Mm. Yeah. All right. So there you go. My wisdom. Very good. Or lack thereof. Well, Tom, hit us with some knowledge. Well, I'll make it short and sweet. Uh, I love impressive statistics, but I also love unlikely statistics. And of course, I revealed maybe ten podcasts back. Um, my favorite, all-time favorite, weird statistic, and that's the Perry brothers who very mm -hmm. far along in their career had identical one-loss records um, for about four or five days, which I yeah. thought was really amazing. But here's another one of those kinds of stats, and I think I've shared it with you guys before, but we'll share it to the wider world. Warren Spahn, amazing pitcher that he was, 363 lifetime victories, he also had 363 base hits in his 21 <laughs> career. So exactly the same number yeah. of hits as victories. And if you break it down among the teams that he played for, the Braves, he had 356 and 356. The Mets, he had four wins and four hits. And Come the Giants, on. he had three wins and three hits. Now, did he get a hit in each of his wins? Uh, I, I doubt that. I doubt it. <laughs> I do too, but that would be cool. That would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know if he won the game? Thing. He got a hit. <laughs> uh, and just point, for good measure. He's making it up. Well, yeah. And just for good measure, he also appeared in the postseason a few times and he had four wins and four hits. Come on. <laughs> crazy. That's wild. That's crazy. amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. All right, Matt. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. Yeah, yeah no uh, kidding. That's awesome. All right. Warren Spahn is a font of excellent chit-chat, but we can save some of it for another time. Uh, I do have a random cub. Okay, cub Todd. It's mano a mano. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, and I, Steve Dillard. Warm up my brain. <laughs> Steve Dillard. <laughs> You know, you're going to do that one day. You're going to just say it, and it's going to be right. We know this yeah. is you. This is you. So Let's go for it. Cool. Go ahead, Matt. Feel free, if you guys want, you know, even as I give the introductory information, throw out something, you know, we'll see. It's almost like how many clues do you need to get Right, the yeah, yeah, like the 20 yeah. questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was inspired by the fact that the Cubs are rumored to still be looking for a bench bat before spring training, hmm. uh, be it in free agency or via trade. And bench bats are my favorite random Cubs. So oh I have a bench bat for you. And if you get this guy too quickly, I've got a second one. Okay. 
uh, this guy had two distinct stints with the Cubs. This is another thing that apparently I love, is finding guys who are Cubs twice. He was first with the Cubs from 1985 to 1987. And then from 1991 to 1992. He actually re-signed with them in 1990, but played in Iowa until like the middle of 91 when he made it back to the majors. He played in 239 games, but he only had 686 plate appearances. Reserve outfielder, sometimes pinch hitter, occasionally a pinch runner. Had seven homers, 41 stolen bases, hmm. and he batted 241, 303, 312. Yikes. That that's his slash line? What was his slash line? Two forty one batting average with a three oh three OBP and a three twelve slugging. He did not have much power. He had speed. He drew a few walks. Enough to be someone that they would slide in there every now and then. Righty, lefty? I believe he was a lefty. Give me one moment to verify that. But 80, he said 80. So he's on the 80, Cubs 8014. 85. 85. Oh, 85. Yep. Uh, Signed as a free agent after 84. He had been originally with Boston. He drifted after the Cubs. He was with the Angels. Like I said, he fell out of the majors for a couple of years. And he made it back and really had his best, best time with the Cubs in 91 and 92. What was his best season? It was, if I can find him again here. Uh, I, I, can't, I, I can't get uh, Dwight Smith out of my head. And that's too soon for Dwight Smith. Yeah. Too, yeah. The first stint would be too soon. That's what I was thinking too, yeah. Dwight Smith. Although I think Dwight Smith might have been a Jackson, Mississippi native, and this guy was too. He was a five foot nine switch hitter. And again, mostly oh, outfielder, shoot. pinch hitter. It's not uh oh. uh oh no. Where'd you say he was from? He was born in Jackson, Mississippi. He actually okay. graduated from Tilden Tech in Chicago. It's not Desenzo. No. And it's not Dave Martinez. Um, nope. Because Dave had two stints with the Cubs, too, I think. You're right about that. Yep. His best Holy year crap. with the Cubs was 91, when he had 411 plate appearances and batted 257 with a 315 OBP. Stole 13 bases that year. Wow, what the heck? Who is this guy? Uh, was he an infielder or an outfielder? Outfielder. Outfielder. He, he had good speed, played, I think, mostly with subbing in center. Uh, but again, he was used as a pinch runner, a pinch hitter, a pretty good amount. Uh, especially in 91. In 91, he pinch hit 38 times. Uh, but in 86... It's not... It's, it's not uh, shoot, what the heck's that guy's name? Thad, Thad, Thad. Oh, Thad Bosley or Thad... Thad Bosley, yeah. no. No, am I in the right range? You're, I mean, Thad was around at that time, I do believe. That's uh, what I'm thinking, but... Does, I, don't, I don't remember. I remember him as a switch hitter, though. I don't remember. He was a lefty, Thad Bosley was. Uh, yeah, the the mid-80s were not only for the Cubs, but throughout the league. It was like this incredible uh, saturation of bench bats, guys that would be used only in platoon roles or uh, defensive subs late in right? games. Was, huh. Yeah. 
Um, it's not Viscaino because he was a um, infielder. Mm-hmm. That's right. It was not him. Who's the guy that that uh, like led off the season with like homers in the first first two at bats or something? Oh, like Tuffy uh, <laughs> Rhodes. First three. There it is. Yeah, that Tuffy is Rhodes. not him. Not Tuffy Rhodes. Tuffy. Well, it's not this this one might be too tough. By a raw number of plate appearances, he was used a fair amount. But again, as I look at the roster of the 86 and the 87 Cubs, it's like, yeah, but he was 15th or 16th on the depth chart. Because, you know, he was used less than guys like Brian Davitt one year or uh, Bosley or uh, even Davey Lopes, you know. Dave Martinez, oh, okay. they were all getting more run than him. So, hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, those names, Desenzo and Tuffy, and it's somebody like that, isn't it? It's, it's, it's somebody of that same ilk, but who the hell is it? Wow. I'm oh, I, I, yeah, I'm out. I'm stumped. Yeah. I'm going to give you guys this one. It's Chico Walker. Oh. Huh. Chico Walker, who, by the way, is given name Cleotha. <laughs> Which I don't, I mean, I don't have video proof of this, but I promise you Harry Carey found out that his name was Cleotha at some point and announced <laughs> that on a broadcast. Yeah, I hope so. Cleotha. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure he did, and I'm sure it was glorious. <laughs> Even though we don't have that video, I, I wish we did. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Let me we'll throw see. the other one out. Okay, good. Let us redeem ourselves. Yeah, see if we can make a comeback this guy here. Is, it's almost more interesting to me. Uh, my first season as a Cubs fan, as you guys know, was 1997. And that year was this guy's second of two seasons with the Cubs. Only had two. In one of them, 1990, he played in 84 games, had 181 plate appearances, hit 275, 304, 409. That was at age 27. That was 1990? Yep. He comes back in 97, and for that team, he played in 102 games, 166 plate appearances, barely one and a half per game played almost purely a pinch hitter five more homers hit 301 386 462 wow that's pretty good left-handed hitter uh wow spent most of the time between his cub stints filling that same role for the pirates not tyler houston no like lance johnson Somebody, yeah, it's somebody. He was a journeyman type, right? He was. Who yep. was the guy who dropped the ball? Uh, Brant Brown. Brant Brown was a lefty, I think. Brant Brown was a lefty, but he's not the guy we're looking for. <laughs> this guy was by '97. He was 34. He was sort of an aged dude. Was that his last uh, year in the bigs? No. And, in fact, the next year, he was on that very good Astros team that I know ran away from the Cubs in the division. Yes. A very good pinch hitter for them, too. Come on. It's right on, it's on the tip of my whatever. Um, Pirates, Cubs, Astros. Like dead and gone. But there are a bunch of these guys. It's, you know, we... We think of the very famous ones like uh, Willie Harris, not Willie Harris, Lenny Harris, but yeah, this guy was a forerunner to Lenny, who was very, very good at what he did. Oh, I can picture this guy. Uh, I can, I think. A uh, light-skinned African-American guy, right? 
Yeah, I Jeez. think that's fair. I'm not close. Uh, I cannot think of his name. Give Tad the initials. I bet he'll get it. <laughs> well, yeah, he definitely will if I give him the initials. Let me think here. Uh, um, I don't know about that. That's 97. A, 90 and 97. There's a musical tie-in with his name. What? It's it's not related to him as an actual person. Oh, it's Dave Clark. <laughs> Dave Clark Five. Dave Clark Five. Wow. Wow. Is it? Dave Clark. That guy could hit, and I. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I I remember just being very impressed with him as just a pure hitter in 1997. He was that guy who could, and I think they had they might have had Dave Hansen that same year. Just a bunch of guys named Dave Remember bouncing him. off the bench and and getting knocks, but yeah, uh, something that I think teams could do more of now if they chose to, but too busy trying to squeeze somehow squeeze a 14th pitcher onto the roster, even now that that's officially against the rules. I, I, I thing I remember about him is being I, it must have been in 1990. I don't know that. I would have been excited about getting him back in '97, as as being potentially um, a starter, potentially a, a you know decent overall player. Yeah, I mean it's it's possible at that stage of his career he'd been with Cleveland through the mid '80s and Cleveland. You know, yes, those teams were dreadful, but it wasn't his fault. And then after he ping ponged to a couple of teams, he landed with the Pirates for a few years. And those teams were dreadful, but it wasn't his fault. <laughs> he just, uh, you know, good hitter, never was much in the corner outfield. So, you know. He, yeah, I mean, he was mostly like a left fielder, right? Right. right. Not as fast as he uh, would. It would have been helped him if he was a little faster, I think, right? Quite possibly, yeah. Yeah. yeah All right. Remember, well, yeah. Oh, just real quickly, who's the bat that came over with Aramis? From Pittsburgh, Randall Simon. Oh, I love another that guy. great bench bat. Love that. Oh yeah, yeah. That guy could yeah he was great. His career went down the hill after he punched or he smacked a Brewers mascot guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that was the same year that he ended up with the Cubs. But that's a story for another time. Yeah. Uh, for tonight, I will do a quick housekeeping, but we'll do that on the other side of another break. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and have a good one. Thanks, guys. Thanks. See ya. Bye-bye. And hey, just as promised, I'm here to do that little bit of housekeeping to close out the show. If you are not already subscribed to us, either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, go ahead and do so. Rate and review the show. Let us know what we're doing or how we're doing. We know roughly what we're doing. Let us know how we're doing, what we could be doing better. Uh, Hopefully we already are delivering better sound quality for you. That was a big goal and a box we hope we've checked. But if there's anything else that we can do better, let us know. If you have questions to ask, you can reach us on Twitter at NotARebuild or on my personal account at MATrueBlood or DJs at DJFox, F-O-C-H-S. Thanks.